Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Molinex, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We'd like to thank DonorBox for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. DonorBox is the online fundraising engine of choice for over 50,000 organizations in 96 countries. Their intuitive fundraising software was designed with your donors in mind. Go to DonorBox.org to sign up today. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot O-R-G. Greetings, Nonprofit Hub. I'm Delaney Molinex, the host of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. In this episode titled Be a Conscious Nonprofit with Relational Leadership, I speak with Lisa Steindorf. She is very passionate about helping leaders become people who can keep all of their employees and staff working in the same direction on a similar purpose, regardless of personal differences, values, moral differences, any type of conflict that can happen in a team setting. Um, Something I love that she says is that all people want to do what they love and to do it well, and they want to be acknowledged for who they are as well as what they do. Um, Very insightful podcast. Stay tuned. Lisa, please introduce yourself and share more about what you do. Yes, thank you. And nice to be here, Delaney. Um, well, I work with all in all different sectors, nonprofit, corporate, trade unions, um, and I work with various types of leaders and teams. Uh, I have the opportunity of helping people understand their own value, recognize the value in others, and learn how to play nicely with one another while they are achieving what they want so that's that's it easier said than done right yeah yes well yes and no when when people when people understand really that they have value it's not something to be contested or worked for and they recognize the same in others then it puts everything on a completely different level and then it really does get easy the the stress and the tensions fall away Mm, interesting so tell me your company is called core success yes Okay. And so you just work as a consultant with, and you said not just nonprofits. I don't only work with nonprofits. I do work a lot with nonprofits. Um, I work with startups, also entrepreneurs, as well as large organizations, Nike, Lufthansa, the state of Oregon, city of Portland. I mean, really anywhere where there are people working together to achieve a common goal or service. Mm -hmm. That's, That's where I can do my work best. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, but in order for us to get to know you a little bit better, uh, I love just asking someone kind of obscure questions. What is something you do when you're stressed to feel better? Mm. Well, I think I'll start by saying that I'm very blessed to be living and playing on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Multnomah, Clackamas, and Tualatin peoples, uh, colonial known as 
Portland, Oregon. And so my connection to the land and appreciation for this earth and not meaning that politically or uh, environmentally, but really our, our personal connection with the ground uh, is a big part of my life. So if I'm feeling stressed, if things haven't gone well, or I just need to reconnect with me, I go outside bare feet on the ground. And uh, it really doesn't matter where I am, but if I can find a patch of soil, preferably one that's not disturbed, um, I'm the happiest. And if there's snow on the ground, it still works. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm out there barefoot. That's, yes. That's a happy place. Yeah, that's incredible. I have a similar, I think, connection with the earth. And I think that's a beautiful thing to to not ever take for granted. No. Um, it's the best elixir in the world to just yes. talk and remember what's real and feel one's breath. Yes. I've had people say to me before, Delaney, just go outside and stick your hands in the dirt or like, yeah, like you said, take your shoes off and like go walk outside um, and like reconnect. So um, I love that. I think it's a great stress reliever. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about what relational leadership means. And I personally, I think in my experience can be really, really difficult, especially in a nonprofit, because a lot of people have such strong hopes and dreams and goals, and they all come from different backgrounds and have different morals and values. And that's kind of where the conflict arises, right? Because like having morals and values is an amazing thing, but not everyone's are the same. And I think that's often where like this conflict and like tension can, can rise up, especially in nonprofits where, again, maybe the individuals are like much more passionate because, and that's the whole reason that they're in the purpose sector. Mm -hmm. um, so how can an organization with a team of, of staff find more fluid teamwork together when they are they're having that difficulty in that conflict mm -hmm. so as you, as you said the passions are high and i think that is what makes nonprofits so unique and rich and also challenging um because the people that are involved in them bring their whole selves right in in corporations yeah. trade unions people can say okay i'm going to go to work do my work and then i leave in nonprofits, when people come into the work field, relationships, tasks, their whole self is there. It's yeah. totally aligned with who they are, how they live their lives, how they see the world, and how they walk. So that distinction of work and, and life is not there. It's blended, which is beautiful. What you end up having when people are working together and each person is bringing themselves into this is it's twofold. First of all, the common vision. And so I also st facilitate strategic planning in organizations. And the first thing that we start with is vision. And I do it in a, in a visualization exercise where people literally have to first envision and then map out, draw together a vision. And it's astounding how organizations were working together for years, the teams will say, wait a minute, that's not the vision. Yeah. Right? And so they have their own picture within themselves. So really first defining that common vision. And, and even if it's fine tuning or tweaking it a little bit is incredibly yeah. helpful. So people know what's in each other's hearts and minds as they're moving forward. Yeah. And the second thing is the how. It's not that people, even if that vision isn't totally aligned and, and in sync, where most teams differ and struggle is how are we going to achieve it? And so that kind of conversation and understanding of we're moving in the same direction. How are we going to achieve what we want to achieve? And, and to understand there's no right and there's no wrong. There are just different outcomes for different actions. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you had a chance to check into it, but um, a big part of my work is called the genius of non-judgment, where I help people distinguish facts from their experience and their perception. Uh, facts can be correct or incorrect. It can be you know twelve degrees or thirteen. Like we can measure that with objective means. But our experience, mine of 12 degrees, may be totally different than yours of 12 degrees. Yeah. But our experiences are valid. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I work with people, I help them understand that what they're, experience, what they're experiencing is totally valid. Now let's hear what the other person is. And let's w- understand one another from that perspective. And when we're on the same page, oh, this is what's going on with one another. Now we can turn ourselves to, well, what's our goal? And how are we going to achieve that from these different perspectives? Yeah. And there's so much conversation right now about, I mean, and there, and there has been, but especially now just the, all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion that has started to definitely impact the nonprofit space. I think that lived experience is what is so valuable that you need to have for your nonprofit organization. But again, those lived experiences are also what it's going to be more difficult, I think, <laughs> to work as a team, but, but it's worth it um, because that value is so important. And to your point about, vision and mission statement nonprofit have actually had the opportunity and I see this as hugely beneficial for where we were at the time and where we can go now we actually had to redo our vision and our mission statement Mm. and someone said something at a panel of executive directors that I attended and we were talking about culture and how do you change culture within an organization and and this woman said you know if you don't talk about your culture and your vision all the time, it's something that can get lost. And so it needs to be articulated all the time. Otherwise, it's just something that can dissolve into like thin air if it's not constantly talked about. And I think that's very similar to a vision statement. And I often find myself reiterating our vision statement in my head so that when I'm making decisions, I'm constantly aware of that vision. And to your point, everyone might be articulating that vision differently in their own minds. Um, especially staff versus maybe a board and yes. being mindful that the board is also aware of how that vision is being articulated is super important too. That's really well said and astute, uh, an astute observation. So when I do strategic planning, my almost requirement, um, or at, at least strong urging is that everybody is in the room for that planning process from the people that are making phone calls to the, the, the entire board to the folks that are out in the field, mm-hmm. whatever it is that everybody's in the room so that when you create the, the values that the vision is based on and then the mission that is actually executing that vision, the values, vision, and mission are created from a place of common understanding. And what you just said, when that is established, that should be reiterated. It should be written, posted, spoken about so that exactly as you all are doing it, every decision, every um, partnership, even funding, do we want to take money from this organization? How are we going to utilize this? How do we align with them? Like everything touches back. That's the touchstone. It's beautiful. Excellent. For me, I think the value in saying that in my head constantly, our vision statement is that when you are seeking maybe a partnership or collaboration with another nonprofit or another organization that is clearly, you know, a competitor, like you can say that in the nonprofit space, we have a lot of competitors. And when someone approaches me for a partnership or to collaborate, who is a competitor of ours, when I'm making a decision on what I, how I want to move forward, I say to myself, our vision 
Mm-hmm. And if they are striving for a similar vision, we have we have a, a mutual shared vision and we should collaborate, right? But it's so easy to say, you're a competitor. My decision is going to be that we're not going to work with you. But instead, how can I focus on the whole reason we exist, right? Is to create a thriving nonprofit sector. And if someone can help me do that, then we should be working together in some way. And so that's been super beneficial um, for me in particular. Beautiful. I also had the pleasure of attending the nonprofit technology conference in Denver. And I think that's something that you would really enjoy um, their focus on um, creating inclusive um, and equitable spaces is honestly one of the main components of their entire conference, um, especially for indigenous and native peoples of, of America. And so I think you would really enjoy that, but something that they said in the opening of the conference, which I thought was super beautiful, the executive director, Amy Ward said, for whatever you guys are feeling internally, personally, whatever problems that you guys felt that you needed to leave at home to come to Denver or the problems that you felt you needed to leave in the hotel room, she said, I want you to bring those like this morning. Like you can bring all of that to the conference today and like, that's okay. Like you don't need to leave that stuff at home or in your hotel room. Like this conference is meant to bring like your whole self um, into like have those conversations too, which I loved. Um, And you do it anyway. Right. Wherever you go, there you are. So the idea that you can segment yourself, as I said earlier in the corporate world, people say, well, this is my workplace and this is my home. We can do that partially, but it's never really 100%. And so to have that kind of congruity, which is what I, uh, how I have learned to define authenticity is being congruent inside and out. Whatever I'm experiencing inside, I'm somehow expressing it outside. It doesn't have to direct me, but it's present in my being. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really... Yeah, it's a beautiful way to start any kind of um, meeting or especially a conference. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. And I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, DonorBox. DonorBox has a simple mission to do everything possible to support nonprofit organizations in their efforts to make a difference. From hitting your first campaign goal to growing into a sustainable and thriving nonprofit, DonorBox makes it easy for organizations to maximize donations and attract more supporters. From charities to social impact groups to faith-based organizations, DonorBox delivers a simple, seamless donation experience for your supporters. So visit DonorBox.org to sign up with no setup or monthly fees and no contract required. That's DonorBox.org. Now let's get back to today's episode. Well, let's try to let's try to connect with some of our listeners. Um, maybe let's do a little bit of storytelling. So. And I'm sure you have a ton of examples, but maybe you have an organization where everyone has already identified a shared vision. Um, So we're all working towards the same place, but there's still a lot of difficulty in working together. Can you just describe a situation where that has happened and what it looks like? Yes, there's an uh, organization I was working with. They um, do work in Malawi. Um, They establish both schools as well as um, regenerative farming practices for the people there and the and you and actually those are the two groupings if you will in the nonprofit itself is you had people coming from the academic field mm-hmm. that understand the necessity and the foundation of 
of learning, teaching as part of the regeneration, not only of the soil, but of a community and really helping people understand how to rely on one another, what skills they have to build in order to be productive in their communities. And then you had the regenerative agriculture facet of the, of the um, organization that really said, unless we have vital soil, unless we are able to really feed ourselves with nutrients that are going to help us think well and feel well and, and our children will thrive, it doesn't matter what kind of schools we have because we won't be able to utilize them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have, they have the same vision. They still do. They still exist. They have the same vision. But the, the approach, like which prong of that do you put in the forefront and how do you do that? And so in working with them, what was a joy for me was to really recognize, as I was saying earlier about the value of each individual, is to really suss out and anchor the value of each one of those perspectives and then help them to understand it is not an either or, it's and. How do we make these dovetail? How do we make these work together? So if, if you're going to be doing regenerative practices, how can you do that in an educational manner? How can you educate the people as they're doing it or, or inter- integrate that piece into the school system? And the other way around, if you're building schools literally by hand or where they, one of the, when they built a library, they filled, um, old plastic bottles because, you know, there's a, plethora of those in, in Africa. So they'd fill those with, with sand and that made the foundation of the walls of the of the building that they ended up making for the library. Mm-hmm. So as you're building and teaching the schools, how can you educate about the land while you're doing that and the soil and what's the difference between dead soil and soil that's alive and can regenerate itself and that you can also help regenerate. And how do you help regenerate that? So it was understanding the value of those perspectives and then helping them understand it's not a win-lose and either or, but it's a question of how can we make it dovetail so that we can move forward together. And that's pretty much a good analogy about for any team, really, that that's working together, non-profit or otherwise. Yeah, I think the whole the whole thing about different professional backgrounds is a great example. And I think that's kind of common in the nonprofit space. Um, people land in the nonprofit sector from all different professional backgrounds, whether they're working maybe in government before, maybe they're, you know, fresh out of college, maybe they just had a passion, right, for like the mission that they wanted to set forth on, and they don't have any experience in the nonprofit sector. Um, I know a lot of like, you know, people who are doing well kind of tend to like want to do that, like start getting involved philanthropically and start doing different things. So I mean, all walks of life, realtors, accountants, like you name it, coming into the nonprofit sector. So definitely very different professional backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a great example. I also love the comment that you made on instead of it being like the zero sum game, can we say and instead of instead of or in place of? And someone said to me before, it was like an exercise that we were doing. When you want to give feedback to a colleague or make a comment on something that they've said, can you replace the word but with and? Mm. In how much of an impact and a difference that that can make on the receiving end to that colleague. Um, for example, someone on my team says, I want to make this logo blue. I could say, we could make the logo blue and we could make it more appealing to this audience by making it red instead of saying, 
we could make the logo blue, but we could make it red instead. It sounds totally different to the person on the receiving end. And like you said, instead of like detracting from that person's comment or opinion or feedback, you're adding to it. Um, and so that's a totally different, um, just a whole different like vibe or energy of that conversation completely changes. Absolutely. And there's two really wonderful things in, in what you just shared as well, other than the outcome is that in your speaking it, you position yourself differently, right? Yeah. You use the word and suddenly you're in a place of and, and so now you're looking for if there's an and, how do we make the and work, right? Without even trying by, by interjecting and instead of but. That's excellent. The other thing that came to my mind is you were talking about um, inclusion. And so I've had the gift, I spent most of my life overseas and have traveled the world extensively and worked in many dozens, dozens of countries. Um, and so for me, when I hear of diversity, equity, and inclusion, my mind goes really global and to dozens or there are hundreds of cultures on this planet. And I've, I've sat in rooms where they've worked together and I've sat in rooms where they've fought together. Yeah. And the difference is, and I think that's really key, especially on this continent, is the culture here, it has been colonized. We can, most of us can agree upon that. And so that means that certain really vital parts of this society have been subdued and placed into a minority position, whether the numbers are minority or not, but it's a matter of economic stance and, and say and so forth. So they're in a minority position, and we don't have to speak about which ones. But what happens, what's happened with that structure is you have a dominant voice, a dominant culture, and a non-dominant culture or minority culture. And so the, the idea of sub, um, diversity, equity, inclusion is, okay, how do we then blend the dominant culture with the minority culture? The premise is that there is dominant and minority. That's the difficulty. Mm -hmm. So in the places where I have worked, the organizations, um, educational institutions, nonprofits where I have worked, where the voices are coming together, dozens of cultures are working together and not fighting together, is the premise is we are all of equal value. It does, we don't have to leave the dominant minority mindset first. We come in as we all have equal voices. Then you're listening for, how do you see it? Why do you do it that way? Why is that your answer when my answer is this? You're in a completely different space of trying to understand and of curiosity and problem solving rather than, wait a minute, he doesn't have a right to say that. She doesn't have a right to say that. Why are they doing this? We should be able to do that. That falls away, that whole power play and dominant paradigm, if you will. And you're operating in a completely different paradigm, which creates completely different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, talking about those should ofs and these these underlying assumptions and beliefs and and things that are happening in the nonprofit sector, we talk a lot about that at Nonprofit Hub, and we try to address and confront these things all the time. So whether it's the limiting belief that your nonprofit isn't big enough, we're not ready enough, we don't have enough resources, or we can't pay our staff, you know, what they're worth, we can't increase their salaries, we can't give raises, all of these like limiting beliefs in the nonprofit sector. What are some other like limiting beliefs that you see nonprofit leaders having? I think the the idea that <clears throat> because nonprofit is not for profit and the dominant culture is about profit, there is a self-inflicted um, less than mindset, although very, very subtle. It's like, well, we're only a nonprofit. 
mm-hmm. right? We're, we, we have to work to play with the big boys. Yeah. And that's not explicit, but the, the, as I said, or and, um, as we were talking about, that, that there, we're operating in a culture where there is that hierarchical mindset of organizations, of peoples, of individuals, that individuals that are leading in nonprofits have placed themselves also in that hierarchy. And so to understand, to come back to that value, vision, mission, and to really anchor within oneself, not altruistically like we're better than, because now you've just flipped that hierarchy, right? Now you have this attitude of self-righteousness. That's just an, an inversion of the other. Yeah. But to be able to really understand we are offering something of such value that we are neither better than or less than, we have a service to provide and we are coming in equilaterally. And that changes the whole landscape. Yeah, absolutely. What are some tools that nonprofit leaders, executives, managers, tools that they can use to master this concept of relational leadership? Um, And I love something that you have, I think it has to have been on your website, but how can nonprofit managers and leaders recognize their team members for who they are and not just what they do? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the first thing would be to prioritize connection. Um, when I, when I work with leaders again in any sector, but especially this is for me, the difference in relational leadership, traditional leadership, merely because of how, what we were talking about in the hierarchical structure of organizations and society in, in the colonized world is that people who are in leadership that they think that they are above, mm-hmm. and that they're in a position to tell and that it, it can function. It's, it is not as efficient. And this has been proven by various studies especially Google did an excellent study on and showed that the, what brings the highest level of productivity in any organization is psychological safety. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. And to feel psychologically safe, you need to feel like you are seen, you are valued and you belong. Right. So when I work with leaders, what I help them understand is first, you are a value connect with the value. You are not your position, not your title, not your accomplishments or your income. But the value you are, not what you do, but just the simply in your being. And from that place of knowing your value, understanding and connecting with that place in another individual, like really seeing them for who they are and for the value they are in this world, independently of what they do, right? What they do comes from who they are. And from that place, then invite them along, inspire them, encourage them invite them to come along and collaborate and accomplish something together. That's leadership. That's relational leadership because it's putting my relationship with you first before we accomplish anything. Yeah. If you look at the great leaders in the world and also the great movements in the world, that's how all of the successful ones have happened. It's been about relationship first. Yeah. And I can see that even in leaders and managers that I have inspired me and that I look up to. Um, you can see that all throughout their professional trajectory that they've been doing that, that they have that relational leadership aspect. And that's why they're so valued in the workplace and in their roles and that they continue to be successful. I think that's a huge indicator of that. Absolutely. When people feel good and they already love what they do, boy, they'll do just about anything. Yeah. They can accomplish amazing things with that kind of an atmosphere and climate. Yeah. I feel that I will be writing a blog soon about psychological safety because I like totally forgot how much I love that concept yeah. um, in the workplace. I think that's great. Well, 
I, we always try to end a nonprofit hub radio podcast episode with a little segment called good news for nonprofits. Uh, what is a little bit of good news that you might be able to share with our listeners today? Well, I think the good news is that individual and, and also in the studies they have, they're not long-term, but they've been just within the time since COVID is that a majority of people are now prioritizing their well-being and their lifestyle over income and work. Yeah. And so that has really shifted where people are paying attention to how they spend their money, where they spend their time, what they contribute their energies to. And so I think that nonprofits are really in a position now to thrive, to really um, make strong and swift headway with what it is that they want to accomplish because there are people that want to move those kinds of things forward. Yeah. Um, and as I said, since money has become not something to work for, but a resource of how am I going to invest it? Like people yeah. understand the value of where they put their money is what they believe in. That nonprofits have an opportunity not only to have people that are going to bring their energy to the nonprofit, but also their funding. Ooh, I love that. I love those two different those two different factors that are actually beneficial for the nonprofit sector. I did while I was in Denver, I know I mentioned the nonprofit technology conference, I did a session on quiet quitting. And that was the whole premise is that money is no longer the currency that the workplace is playing with now. Like we're playing with our time. Like that is our most valuable asset. Uh, but I love to your point, like it's beneficial, not only in terms of like our financial assets, but with where we're, we're spending and giving like our skills to. And I said, at the end of my, at the end of my session, I feel like we have the advantage here, like nonprofit, the nonprofit sector should have a huge advantage in, in talent acquisition and retention right now, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, um, and again, I'm going to come back to the mindset, right? Is that I'll give you a, a different example. I, I work with, um, women, I have a program called the core of female leadership. And similar to that hierarchical structure I was talking about, there's also the mentality of there's a number two and a number one gender. And independently of gender fluidity, if we just speak about the the um, the spectrum of at the ends of male and female. Yeah, women have traditionally fought for their place as number one. But the premise is that there is even a number one that, and that they are number two. If you take away that premise, if there's no number two and there's no number one, if I know I'm of equal value simply because I am, I'm going to operate completely differently in my workplace, in my relationships, in, in my private life. It's the same thing with, with nonprofits. If, you, if your premise is we are of equal value, we have the same place in this world as the Googles and the Amazons and the Nikes and the Intels or whatever, we bring something so incredibly value. They can't, they can't exist without us. We can't exist without them. There's an interdependency. And so I feel like when that mindset shifts, when people really grasp the value of what they're doing and their nonprofit in this world, their organization in this world, then that retention or that ability to attract people and retain people is not going to be a problem. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's amazing. I'm definitely going to think about that even just in terms of what we do, but um, probably pull out that quote from you <laughs> and try to <laughs> try to inspire some people. I love, um, we try to come up with some, like, what do you call them? Alliterations for, mm-hmm. for our new mission and our vision. And I love saying um, like one of my favorite hashtags is nonprofit proud. Um, and I think that we need, we need to like boost that a little bit more in the sector. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Lisa. Likewise, Delaney. Thank you for your time and thank you for what you do. 
really, because that is how I see it. The people that, you know, I give a lot of my time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to begin working here soon, not full time, but part time on a regular basis with a nonprofit that operates out of California for peoples in Bolivia along the Amazon, purifying the water、um, that they are drinking and living from. So I really appreciate what you do. And、um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share some thoughts and ideas with folks that are doing good work. Yeah, of course. Such important, such important insights that you shared today. And、um, thank you as well for, for your kind words. It's my pleasure to, to be in this position and help the sector and learn and grow together with them.、Um, beautiful thing as well.、Um, well, thanks everyone for tuning in.、Um, make sure you catch us next week for the next episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. 